Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the DCU Soccer Podcast. Uh, we're back today to discuss the 2004 DC United uh, season. Um, I'm with Daniel, my co-host. Do you want to introduce our, uh, yourself and, and kind of let us know what you've been up to in the last uh, two weeks? Yeah, so I'm Daniel Wise, uh, S Dakota Soccer over on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, past couple of weeks, you know, it's been continuing with the whole, uh, you know, COVID-19 quarantine thing. So, uh, you know, I, as we were kind of talking about before we started recording, you know, uh, I've really hit that time where, like, the days just sort of melt together into one, like, full timeline rather than being, you know, able to kind of, like, divide days. It's sort of like, I just know a day has changed because I've literally woken up today and I'm going to fall asleep tomorrow but I don't know what day it is. Uh, but, you know, it's it's been fun kind of uh, getting, you know, doing this whole research project on DC United. And then I guess, you know, one of the things that sort of came back and, and set a bit of normalcy back into my life was the return of football on TV, uh, live football, which was uh, the start or the restart of the Bundesliga season this uh, weekend. So did you get a chance to catch any of that? Uh, I actually uh, missed it, but because I slept in. <laughs> <That's how it laughs> yeah. um, but I did, I did, you know, see everyone's tweets about it and, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, some of the highlights were kind of like, uh, it was great, obviously, because it's like, you know, it, it's going to be a long time we go through this, but, but it's some semblance of, of, you know, one one notch in the in the return uh, belt, I guess. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool, but but it did also feel weird, you know, seeing the the highlights with no crowds and and kind of uh, announcers, uh, you know, weird stuff, you know. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a good sign, I guess. Um, but yeah, what did you uh, take from it? That's hilarious you say that because like it did seem all around that everyone was a little bit rough and rusty is like i remember when i was i was watching the uh borussia dortmund schalke match and one of the like uh commentators was describing one of the players as looking nappy and i like perked up for a second i'm like uh sir that's not a word you use to describe someone but you know it was sort of like uh one of those awkward things and like uh you could even see it on the field that like certain teams hadn't skipped a beat uh your Borussia Dortmund and uh Bayern Munich just came out and and really played like they hadn't even taken a break uh so Schalke they lost 4-0 and that was that was extremely rough and you know it was very weird uh kind of seeing yeah just eerily empty stadiums uh so you what what fat was fascinating was you could more or less hear all of the chatter on the field and the sideline. So you could hear the coaches barking out instructions, and then you could hear the players all kind of like, you know, uh, talking to each other either, you know, in German or whatever, you know, home language. If there's two players from a certain country together, you could pick out uh, certain words here and there. But uh, it was just kind of interesting seeing it. Um, you know, in, in a way, it's like when uh, professional wrestling sort of came back and they were performing from 
empty, you know, uh, you know, stadiums or whatever. Uh, it's just it's it's so weird just seeing that because it it almost doesn't seem real or like you know it doesn't feel like this is a regular season game this is more or less kind of a pickup game you know and and it's just without all the gravitas and the atmosphere uh it just gives the you know the game just a whole different feeling to it uh you still have like really good players playing and like i you know a lot of players is really showed up this weekend and put in some good performances, but uh, it just, it didn't quite have the same magic. Like when the goal hits, hits the net or when the ball hits the net, uh, you, you expect that explosion coming from the fans and you don't get that. So it's like this sort of emptiness there. And yeah, you, you still feel like it's just very, very strange. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely very like, uh, very eerie kind of um but you know i think i think that was kind of also what what i was thinking is like wh- what i really miss is, is that kind of stuff is the the crowd the community that's that kind of stuff the most um and so it's just kind of like yeah it's a good sign but it doesn't quite still feel like it's uh even really that close to being back back um so that's kind of how i feel yeah and and so you know it how do you think it's going to go when major league soccer comes back? Uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, if, if things are looking rough on this end for certain teams, like, you know, it's, it's interesting seeing like Borussia Dortmund come in and they're still on a tear. And then Schalke is still kind of floundering. Like they sort of, they were kind of uneven uh, going into uh, the quarantine break. So, you know, I'm. I it made me feel extra nervous about DC United because they looked very uh, uneven going into this, and so I'm just I'm just praying that you know uh, somehow Ben has has found a way to bring this team together and and you know uh, given them the tools to sort of come out the gate and start winning. Do you think that we'll be able to do that, or or do you feel nervous about that? Well, I mean. Uh, even even the games we've played so far uh, in this quote-unquote season, I guess, uh, we didn't look prepared for those. So um, I wouldn't uh, expect us to really be prepared or, or be at match fitness, really, honestly. So, um, I, you know, whatever return we do see, I think they're talking about a, a tournament in Orlando or whatever. Um, I wouldn't have too much of high hopes there, to be honest. Um, and and also like I think there's some dates thrown around like July 1st uh, playing and you know as one of the the bottom you know ma- bottom you know of the of the league in, in match fitness it seems like uh, in Orlando in July it doesn't sound like a winning formula so yeah I'm not too uh, optimistic about our chances but um, I'm really optimistic about the fact that I'd like to see them play again um, yeah but uh, yeah I don't know about how good we're going to be true. And, and, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully Ben has in some way, I don't know. I want to be optimistic in the way that this team will come together. Uh, when he, when coach Olson was on the DC United kingdom show a couple weeks ago, uh, he was talking about how he was really focusing on 
kind of bringing the guys in more personally about, you know, connecting more with his players on a personal level rather than on that purely tactical or, you know, game day type of mentality. So, you know, there's there's a part of me that's hopeful that, you know, maybe maybe Benny has found a way to kind of uh, rally the troops, per se. And, you know, maybe they can come out and, and you know, it, maybe maybe we're not going to be winning, but at least looking like a team that knows what they're doing, you know, because that seemed to be uh, sort of a point of of or a pain point for us, you know, sort of in those first couple of games was uh, DC just yeah, at times didn't know didn't look like they knew what they were doing, uh, you know, sort of in that midfield, uh, especially in that Miami game, they were sort of they were being harried uh, the entire time. And, and Miami just seemed to have their number, you know, bar a couple of freak moments where Miami kind of lost the plot and DC was able to come away with a win. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's super, uh, unnerving, but you know, you're, you're hoping for the best around this time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely miss, I mean, obviously watching DC play, but, but I mean, Ian talking about those games uh, from the beginning of the season is making me miss, you know, being in the supporter section, you know, having a beer or six <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and and kind of chanting with everyone and all that. And, you know, it's probably going to be a long, long time before that that is even a thought that that's uh, possible um, in any way or shape or form that's similar to, to how it was, you know you kind of have like, well, first they have to start playing and without fans, then they can add fans, you know, at 10% capacity uh, with masks, you know, 25% capacity, 50% capacity, um, you know, up until you get to a full capacity and then you still have masks and then you kind of are like, okay, well only, you know, yeah, people that are at risk of not having it anymore are, have to, you know, and then at, at what point are we going to have a, you know, no, no, you know, no mask, no anything, uh, 2022, maybe, I don't know. Right. So it's, it's kind of sad to think about that, but, um, not to be the, the downer <laughs> here on, on all the topics, but. Well, you know what, let's, let's put that sadness away for a minute and let's go back to a time when, you know, we could say was sort of like the second coming of DC United's golden era. You know, they were dominant in the 90s. In the early 2000s, they, you know, through, you know, sort of restructuring of the Major League Soccer financial situation, uh, you know, DC had to let some players go. Uh, But, you know, they came back in 2004 uh, with a squad, you know, containing a lot of... uh, really tough veterans and then and you know sort of like a uh influx of new talent especially a particular 14 year old named freddie adu uh but you know let's let's you know go back to 2004 let's let's get in that time machine and let's remember that time how old were you in 2004 so i was uh 10 and 11 so uh, this was like one of the first big seasons for me where I was at a lot of the games. We, we would go up. Um, we, you know, we'll watch ones we weren't. So th- I, this is when I, I was way more in uh, the scene uh, beyond just watching 
just at home or or was too young to really understand in like 96 whatever so yeah i mean i was a a, a preteen and 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 then yeah like you mentioned watching uh freddie Adu and all that he was so young that that had an impact on me at the time but i'm sure we'll get into that but yeah i mean this was uh you know, this is kind of everyone has a time in their life when they start really vividly remembering things. You know, you remember stuff before then, but but then you have a moment or, or you know, period of time where you can like, you know, form images of your head of like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And like stuff like so like 2003, 2004, 2005 was like uh, really big for that for me. So um, this was a transformative time, not just um, in my soccer like life, but but also my life in general in terms of culture and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, you know, you say that and boy, you know, uh, I was, I think I was a senior in high school around this time. So, you know, I was sort of a a young troublemaker who was ready to get out of his hometown, go off to college and, uh, you know, kind of start doing that thing. So I, I remember, well, you know, I remember, you know, 17 years old, in senior year, I think I was a lot mellower around that time than than you know sort of years prior when I was kind of a angsty teenager. I think I somewhat knew that my life was going to be going somewhere after high school, and so you know I started taking things a little more seriously and and kind of uh, you know becoming more more of a young adult around this time. And uh, you know I I look back on this and I remember some things that uh. You know, pretty fondly, uh, like uh, the top song of that year was Yeah by Usher and Lil Jon and Ludacris. And I just remember, you know, sort of like that song kind of being everywhere. And then the Live Strong bracelet, that became a thing around that time. So everyone was very positive about living strong and grabbing life by the horns, you know, carpe the diem and all of that like you know that's that's what that was all about and then you had ken jennings winning 74 games on jeopardy winning 2.5 million dollars and uh it was just kind of a a, you know really positive time you know and then you kind of look back on 2005 and boy you know yeah Remembering like sort of the fashion around that time, you know, particularly with like guys wearing like the, uh, you know, cargo shorts and uh, sort of seashell necklaces or hemp necklaces around that time. And then like, I don't know, for for girls like the bell bottoms were in along with like frilly kind of like paisley shirts type type of things you you remember those maybe not maybe that was kind of like a little you know before your you kind of came in i think you were maybe more like the scene kids were sort of coming around your time maybe but like i don't know i remember everything was just very uh frilly and carefree around that time it was it was it was sort of interesting um but yeah that's that's sort of what the world looked like around that time well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned those those bra- the bracelets, bands, whatever. I mean, I at my school, whatever grade I was in, we had when those first came out. I mean, they went. I mean, they were huge, and ev- everything that year, when there was like a you know charity or whatever, they would make these bands, and then you would collect them. And so somewhere in in you know my parents, one of my parents' houses, there's probably fifty or sixty of these rubber bands that um, you know you you know all kinds of different colors and and stuff that that was a thing for a few years there and um 
you know, I actually have a couple DC United ones as well that I got because back then there was this like, and I forget what it's called, but there was like some kids, you know, club that I was in. And, and every time you would go, you'd get like a, a little thing or a little package or whatever. And so I got a couple of those bands with that. So um, that's kind of funny. Uh, those were mm-hmm. just so massive. And so looking back, I mean, as kids, we would wear them all up and down our forearms. And I I, I can't imagine how sticky and gross <laughs> that must have been. But uh, <laughs> And of course, yeah. you know, kids are putting them in their mouths and, you know, snapping people with them and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that was an interesting time. I, you kind of were, you know, you still had a lot of international stuff going on, but but it had been uh, a couple years since 9/11, mm-hmm. um, so you kind of weren't in that immediate uh, few years um, where it just kind of felt like you know the world was over, kind of, uh, which is kind of ironic now. So, because the world kind of does feel actually over. Um, but, you know, that was a very real feeling for a lot of people for a couple of years. And, like, you know, you kind of started getting out of that a little bit. And uh, I, I did see that you noted some of the, the movies here. And uh, one of them uh, I just watched recently, uh, last night, actually, Spider-Man 2, um, oh. with Tobey Maguire. Um, and it's just so interesting because, uh, like, as I was watching that last night, I was like, this is so like 2004, 2005. <laughs> Some of the stuff they were doing, or like the animations or the style, is kind of interesting. Um, right. And and well, great movies, I think. But but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, and then Shrek too, and then you you see like the staying power that Shrek has in meme form on the internet. It's wild, you know, these things that have stayed sort of somewhat ubiquitous for 20 some odd years uh you know with like smash mouse all-star and stuff like that it's like oh yeah i don't it's so bizarre looking at you know the things that like stuck you know or or have come back you know but then again you know we were sort of dunking on stuff from like the 80s or 90s when we were kids so like that only makes sense that you know now this generation is dunking on the stuff that we liked back in the day (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, like, all, all the uh, late 80s, early 90s kids, uh, yeah, like, this was, you know, our stuff. I mean, um, and, and I remember as a kid kind of getting the idea that, you know, you hear Smash Mouth and you're like, this, I remember feeling like this can't be, like, serious. <laughs> but right. I loved it. I loved it. But, and then now, yeah, you see online, like, this, the making of the same joke, like, this is not a serious thing. Um, and then a lot of the Shrek memes, which range from uh cruel to to gross to hilarious to a combination of all three (laughs) but um yeah it's it's you know it's dataism at at its core of you know sort of embracing you know sort of like this this corporate image that was created and then everyone kind of like took it and made it their own whether it was disgusting whether it was you know hilarious or you know whatever sort of way they wanted to uh portray it they took this thing and ran with it and so uh it's it's just super interesting to see how all that uh just just comes and goes and and i'm i'm very interested to see what the next generations you know sort of pick out from this time you know of of the thing that they're going to sort of latch on to and be like, hey, look at this dumb thing that people were into 20 years ago. Like, yeah, it's it's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, at this point, they're just going to make coronavirus memes, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Remember when we all, you know, were losers in our house for 18 months? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but, uh, cool, yeah, I mean, uh, obvious that at this point that this was a pretty fun time, but uh, do we want to move a little bit into the uh, DC United season? Yeah, absolutely, and and this was a fun time for DC United. Uh, in a way, it seemed like uh, DC had sort of shed the past couple of years off. Uh, you know, they ha- they sort of had this experiment with Ray Hudson as their uh, head coach. You know, the you know former uh, Scottish player uh, who you know I think was sort of touted as as being like kind of like a, a next big thing in the the coaching realm, but you know things sort of fell flat uh, during that era. So uh, he lasted two seasons, and then DC uh, brought in a you know what was sort of like as, as this first uh, or or kind of a groundbreaking signing was Peter Novak, uh, who was. Gosh, a guy who played for 20-some-odd years and ended his playing career with the Chicago Fire, and then immediately after that went into coaching duties with uh, D.C. United and, uh, you know, came out, and and it was kind of a rough going for him in his first season. Uh, It was a a lot of downs. Um, If you look at, you know, we'll kind of look at the schedule when we get further into it. But, uh, you know, D.C. from about April to August, uh, a whole lot of draws, a bunch of losses and then a few wins, you know, every so often here and there. But uh, it was it was a rough go for this team up front. But they were sort of riding a wave of excitement because they did draft Freddie Adu, uh, a local kid well-known prodigy uh, who was compared to uh, Pele and then Pele compared to him to Mozart. And so, you know, this kid uh, was basically brought up on, on this wave of excitement and DC kind of like took that and, and really ran with it in 2004. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, uh, that's a, that's a great uh, kind of summary of, of how this season kind of began um, yeah, I think Ray Hudson, I read a, some about him doing the like play-by-play for Inter-Miami this season uh, or something uh, recently. So I guess that's where, where he is now. But um, yeah, uh, you know, the Freddie Adu stuff, that was, uh, I, I, God, I, I, can't, I can't overstate how big that was. I mean, especially as a kid, like that was everywhere. Everyone was talking about it. That kind of broke into the you know, national sports media, um, not only nationally, but, but internationally. Uh, and, and there's different importances there, obviously, like, uh, nationally, like soccer is not, uh, too big, like in, in comparison, right. To, to, you know, basketball, football, um, baseball, that kind of stuff. Um, even, you know, and, and internationally, because, you know, it's an American prodigy and, and that kind of, you know, wasn't the, the first, you know, kind of young prospect that, that we we had, but that was definitely the biggest, uh, especially at this point, because uh, it did end up so differently than than it you know was talked about. But um, he was on all those uh, uh, Sprite commercials too. That was that, yeah, that was crazy. I mean, everywhere you would see you would see that he had a Nike deal right up front that was worth a million dollars. 
He was on a bunch of Got Milk commercials. Uh, you said Sprite, and then I think he did a Campbell's Soup commercial as well. And then as well, you know, he was on all the talk shows, and, you know, I think he even had an appearance on Total Request Live. So, like, you know, he was truly, like, a, a just gigantic um, star. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, great hopes for Major League Soccer to, like, you know, sort of fight back irrelevance for at least, you know, a few more years until eventually David Beckham would come in. But, you know, uh, what's what's interesting is I found an article uh, that was on ESPN um, about, you know, sort of like his his rise and fall. And, you know, he, his story sort of starts in kind of like the mid 90s uh, where he was d- discovered as an eight year old by like some insurance salesman who saw him playing uh, with a bunch of older kids in sort of like a neighborhood pickup soccer game. And he saw how good this kid was. And so he was a, he kind of noticed him reached out to his parents and was able to kind of like guide him up uh, until eventually major league soccer put together this initiative uh, called the project 2010, where they wanted to have a world cup winning squad within a generation by the time the 2010 world cup would come around. And so he was sort of like this big name that was attached to that. And so there's there's some, you know, sort of disagreement whether MLS sort of started this initiative as like a a honest, you know, project to build up talent or if it was just to check out this Freddie Adu kid. So, you know, it's it's just fascinating to see how, you know, he was just discovered and then he was brought up and then eventually in the super draft was able to pull a a Peyton Manning and was able to, or I guess an Eli Manning, where he was able to circumvent the Dallas burn that had the legitimate, like, uh, first round pick to then facilitating a deal where DC United got the first round pick. And then Dallas got a whole bunch of like allocation money. And I think an extra draft pick or something like that. But it was, it, it was sort of unprecedented where this 14 year old kid was able to sort of, uh, negotiate his his own um, sort of draft pick, which is pretty insane when you think about that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I guess you know he he was so young that that it was definitely not something that there was too much precedent for. And I guess you know at the end of the day, it could just be like, well, I don't have to play in your league, you know. I, so, um, but you know, also he he was local and and he did like the club, so. Um, I think it made a lot of sense, and and again, it was, it was just so so big. I mean, I, it was just massive, um, and and again, like it went, you know, nationally, internationally. It was definitely the thing uh, that for years, really, but but definitely that year. Sort of with the roster, uh, what can you say about this 2004 roster that like? really connects with you personally and and what made you really excited about it going into this season yeah i mean uh, when i kind of looked back i mean the the just a step back maybe the the 2004 and 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 really honestly the 2005 team um is like my favorite team um you know just looking at the roster here is just a bunch of guys that I, i idolized and you know you have the obvious ones, the Jaime Moreno's, the uh, Escandarian, Gomez came in, uh, Ben Olsen obviously had been there for a little bit, Romando. Uh, but you also start to have these guys like, you know, Ernie Stewart, um, who, 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 you know, big 
um, now is running some U.S. soccer thing. Um, but but you know, big player for 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 the club and and internationally. Um, you know, you have Mike Petke, Brian Carroll. Uh, you know, all these all these different guys that you know, e- even some of the backups. You know, you start looking at it and you're like, oh man, I really like that guy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you know. Obviously, Kovalenko, crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, every single person on this list has their own stuff, and, and especially as a kid at the time. I mean, it was just like these guys were just everything uh, in, in my world, for sure, and this team was, was everything. Um, and that kind of started with this, this 2004 season. Uh, definitely did kind of feel like a new era, uh, you know, maybe 2004 through like 2007, maybe I, I don't know, but you know that era is just defined by this core of core of guys. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, kind of as I've been researching this and and looking at this 2004 squad, I think you know a player I would have really gravitated towards uh, during that time would would be Aleko Eskandarian. Like the guy uh, had one of the prettiest strikes. Uh, in Major League Soccer, like that left foot of his was insanely good. And, you know, that let him net, you know, 10 goals in the regular season and then four goals in the uh, uh, playoffs or in the uh, MLS. Yeah, MLS Cup uh, playoffs. So, you know, just a uh, fantastic player. And I, don't know, I, I do have a soft spot for like strikers who who are, you know, pretty hard nosed, but they they are equally skilled so uh you know that guy was was something during this time yeah i mean um i i've always liked Eskandarian. he you know he's someone i actually st- i still follow him on twitter and stuff like that and uh he lives so um i live up here in, in new york city now um and he lives like you know 20 minutes walk from here so it's just kind of cool seeing like pictures of him and around his neighborhood and stuff and i'm like oh yeah i I go there to on my way to work. Like it's just kind of uh, interesting, uh, as a side note. But he also, you know, he's he's made some appearances on some shows. He's you know he's always talking about soccer or like stuff like that on on his Twitter page. So um, definitely recommend that. Uh, is he still coaching the Cosmos uh, up there? No, I think he was he was doing like their B team. Okay. Um, but I don't think he's done that for a while now. Gotcha. Um, I'm not sure what he's actually doing, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, him and Jaime Moreno, uh, two, you know, amazing players up there. Um, it's just unstoppable and and unbelievable that, uh, you would never want to face this team. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, even the gosh, they had, you know, even some reserves guys, who who were really good uh yeah you know brandon prideau and then i want to say uh josh gross uh who who was you know sort of nicknamed as sarge on this team uh because he was sort of uh he was slated to go into the marine corps uh and so uh you know this team just had characters all around and and just you know i think uh, you know a lot of guys who embodied a, a certain workmanlike nature uh, that Novak was really trying to instill in this team. And then I, I think really like rubbed off on Ben Olsen, who more or less, you know, has been trying to uh, put that type of style into his squads uh, since he took over the job in 2010. 
Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, if you, if you look at that midfield too, I mean, you have uh, at at the base of uh, you know of that, you know, you have guys like um, Brian Carroll, Ben Olsen, Kovalenko. Like that's pretty strong, you know. I mean, um, even 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 today, I mean, those those are guys that uh, you know, obviously not you know Ben Olsen, Mount Rushmore player, I think for the club, but. But these are all guys that are up there with like the top, you know, 50, I think, uh, players of our club all time. Um, some of them maybe 25. So, I mean, this is a really solid, solid squad. I mean, and and like you kind of mentioned uh, earlier when when Christian Gomez came in, I mean, that really completed the package there. Absolutely. Uh, and and so, you know, we'll we'll. I guess we can kind of run through, uh, you know, sort of like the schedule. Like I said, um, you know, that April uh, month was just super rough for this team. They started off the season really strong with a win against the San Jose uh, Earthquakes, a 2-1 home win. But then they tied the L.A. Galaxy and then they lost to the New Jersey Metro Stars and the Chicago Fire. Uh, So, like, you know instantly dropping those six points right off the bat and then having, you know, three or two more ties follow after that. Uh, April, April and May were, it was just, you know, not exactly the start that DC was looking for. Yeah. And I mean, some of these games you're, you're starting to see, like, they were not just like, you know, they were not all like one zero losses. Some of them were not, were not too pretty there. Uh, yeah. You know, so um, I mean, and and uh, even throughout the whole season, really. But but uh, it also seemed like you know, looking at these scores in general, we don't typically see uh, too many of these kind of games. You know, you see the the five one loss there um, in July, the the six two win. Um, nowadays, DC's games don't typically get uh, too too many of those. You know, you get you know one maybe a year, but but. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, I, I'm guessing the average points, you know, and you see a lot of like three one, three zero games in here too. So just yeah. kind of interesting, you know, how much firepower they had, and and also maybe in, indi- indicating that you know the defense wasn't uh, 100% on point all the time. Yeah, and and look, I mean that's the thing. Uh, when Gomez came in, uh, I think it was around September, uh, he instantly made an impact on the team. So uh, in in the last uh, four games or five games of the season, he contributed three or four goals. So like that was, um, you know, that just showed that DC like picked the right guy to come in. And, you know, I, I think in a way sort of began their, their interest in Argentina because, you know, uh, since then uh, a lot of Argentine players have come through and, and made DC their home. So, you know, uh, Gomez was, was sort of a spark for that. At least, you know, that's sort of my take on that. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, Christian Gomez was definitely a special player, not only, you know, for, for the club. Uh, personally, I have him in, in uh, the top top four best players, uh, probably, um, think, thinking about it now. But but also, I mean, you know, he was he was someone who, who people say is, is one of the best at his positions. Um, you know, he's in that conversation all time in MLS, right? Uh, certainly yeah. a, a top five, top ten player. Uh, that position and and you know watching him play uh, especially you know with Jaime Reno there that was just it was uh, unbelievable really um, you know 
and and it was certainly certainly you know a different team with with him there mm-hmm. well he just shored up uh that that left wing so well so you know uh Eskandarian was a, a threat in his own right but you know once you had gomez in there you know suddenly teams couldn't quite you know Closed down on Eskandarian like they they could before. Uh, it w- it became sort of that moment where you had to kind of pick your poison and hope for the best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you kind of see that indicated in in the schedule. I mean, there's some really solid wins there in the last uh, few months. So um, yeah, I mean, and and it kind of got interesting going into the playoffs as well. I think you know if you look at the the tables and stuff like that. Um, DC didn't, you know, win Supporter Shield and and didn't win the East, but uh, you know they, you know, obviously since we're talking about it, they won the cup. Um, yeah. And and we're probably not the the top choice, uh, you know, at at the time. For sure, because when you look at that uh, Eastern Conference table, uh, DC, you know, came out with a respectable forty two points, but you know, past that point, it's like you're looking at teams only getting 33 points on the season. So, uh, you know, that that kind of indicates, again, you know, the sort of the the East has always been somewhat kind for for D.C. United uh, in, in that, you know, they've been able to kind of like hold their own because, you know, certain teams just haven't been able to really hit that point where they can, you know, really make that sort of like last playoff spot, you know, a, a, a real contest. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and and you know you, you also look at the goal differentials here. Um, not not too uh, not too great at, at a goal differential of just one. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of going to, to the point I made earlier of those lot like highly variant games, uh, especially in the first uh, half to to seventy percent of the season. Um, but you know, yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the playoffs uh, if, if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the playoffs, you know, with the first round, you had D.C. United going up against New Jersey. Uh, Big, big matchup for them. And and really D.C. kind of riding the wave of that late season surge uh, continued on with it. So in that first round, uh, they handled uh, New Jersey pretty well. Two, two goals in the first game, two goals in the second to have a 4-0 aggregate on that. So, you know, they came through pretty handily. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, that, that was a big game um, against, obviously, the, the rivals, you know, and, and that's always going to be a big game. Um, but, you know, also, the Metro Stars were not, were not terrible that season. So, no. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 a really tough game, but but kind of sweeping them there uh, says says a lot. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for for the eventual, uh, you know, uh, MLS Cup final contenders, uh, the Kansas City uh, Wizards, you know, they had a very harrowing first round where uh, they were they were down two nil to the uh, San Jose Earthquakes uh, in that first game. And then they were eventually able to pull away winning the second game three nothing so uh you know kansas uh came through and and had their own sort of dramatic move into that that conference final uh and then with los angeles and colorado rapids 
a very tight game on that one, but Los Angeles was able to eke out uh, on a 2-1 aggregate. And then back going to the east, uh, the New England Revolution had a really tight match against the Columbus crew. They won 2-1 on aggregate, but that was off a 1-0 victory in that first leg. So, you know, just a really tight overall uh, uh, or, or I guess MLS Cup playoffs uh, from that first round. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And and a lot of these teams are uh, pretty good. I mean, you kind of get uh, Kansas City um, coming into the final there and, and uh, being the top the top dog in, in the league uh, at this point, you know, um, in, in terms of uh, who's left. Right. So this is a very solid team that we're going to we're going to go up against in the in the cup final here. Yeah. So the conference final uh, arguably kind of turned out to a bigger deal than the actual MLS Cup. So, you know, sort of going back to the East real quick, uh, you know, Kansas City, they really took it to Los Angeles and they ended up winning 2-0 to uh, get their, you know, uh, cup final berth. But the real show was New England Revolution at RFK against DC United. Now, did you uh, get a chance to go to this game? No, I was not there. No, I'm not at this. Not at this one. No. No. Oh, yeah. that that is a tragedy because um, what what became known as the Rumble at RFK is uh, quite possibly, yeah, uh, one of the best games played in Major League Soccer. And you know, gosh, you know, it didn't quite uh, strike me how good that. Uh, New England Revolution team was uh, they had they were just stacked with talent uh, with with a young Clint Dempsey with uh, uh, Taylor Twellman and who else was on there uh, they had well and then DC you know you had uh, Nick Romando and Escandarian and Moreno and all of those guys uh, but uh, for New England or New England yeah you had Matt Reese uh, as well in there. So you just had just a, a whole bunch of good players. And then, uh, you know, New England had a very good coach on their end, uh, who was, you know, a, a Scottish great in his own right, uh, Stevie Nichol, uh, who played for, you know, those really dominant Liverpool teams back in the 1980s. So he put together just uh, a team that really embodied uh, that that Liverpool uh, style, uh, you know, just real hard nosed, uh, blue collar type of type of soccer. And so, um, this game instantly starts out with, uh, kind of a, uh, incredibly rough challenge, um, on, on Jaime Moreno. And so, uh, you had, uh, who was the guy, uh, Shalri, uh, Joseph, who played for New England basically came out, you know, from the jump and put his boot square into Moreno's chest. And so with that happening, um, just a little while later, uh, Josh Gores decided, well, I'm going to murder this guy because he basically just tried to take out, you know, arguably one, our, our best player. So, you know, uh, with, with Joseph coming in, trying to, uh, pass the ball away uh gorse just comes in and basically tries to break his ankle uh he just comes in with one of the hardest 
uh, kind of tackles slash foot stomps I've ever seen and was just one of the most brutal uh, tackles that I've seen in a while. And so uh, that really set the tone for this game early on. And uh, as I was watching this documentary that Major League Soccer put together, uh, Taylor Twelman quipped basically saying that uh, this game, if VR, VAR had existed at the time, would have ended up eight on eight towards the end of it because there was just that many potential red cards that just never happened in that game. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, this team, the, this revolution team was, you know, also uh, a core of guys that, that made it to the final in, in the next year, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely a golden era for, for the, the revolution. So yeah, definitely a solid team. Definitely, you know, uh, really gritty, really tough, uh, set of guys, really, you know, Taylor Twelman, I mean, competitor. Um, so, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely a big one. So the game started out with an early goal from Eskandarian, who, you know, uh, just had a beautiful left footer, had it on a, on a breakaway. Uh, then you had Moreno c- contributing a goal, uh, which was kind of, you know, at the corner of the goal box uh, and just, you know, yeah, 18 yards out, just kind of hooked it in with his right leg. In fact, he had Reese sold on a cross where Reese took a step to the left, you know, looking for the cross, but the ball just hooked right in and and uh, was just, just a fantastic little number right there. And then uh, you had Gomez scoring the third goal, uh, you know, from a, from a really juicy cross uh, that, that really... I mean, I mean, sent the stadium into into delirium because here's the thing up into that point, you know, DC United scored and then New England would score, then United would score, then New England would score again. And so on this late, you know, game goal from Gomez, uh, you know, everyone in at RFK was basically like, oh, this is it. This is happening. And then, uh, you know, all DC had to do was sort of ride it out you know, keep the ball out of their box and just, you know, play some really stout defense. Uh, But thanks to, you know, some uh, sort of unorganized defensive play, uh, New England was able to stay in there. And on a, uh, you know, that late third goal from New England, basically uh, DC loaded up the, the front post and left about four New England guys in the back. And you see Ramondo being like, this guy's open, this guy's open, this guy's open. Guys, what are you doing? Suddenly the ball's going over everyone's head. And then I think Twelman was able to uh, get in that third goal. So uh, just just shock and heartache for uh, the D.C. United, you know, the team and then the supporters as well. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, I definitely remember uh, parts of watching uh, this game um, on the old, you know, shitty TV. Yeah, that had back then. But yeah, I mean, uh, crazy. Absolutely. So then, you know, the game eventually had to go to penalties at the end, and with that, you know, you had Ben Olsen uh, going up for the the first take. And he t- kicks it straight at Reese. And, and so uh, he really started that off with a bang. But, uh, you know, uh, New England also followed up with a miss. And then, you know, from there, it was basically how the game went. 
DC United would score, then New England would score, then, you know, DC would miss and then New England would miss. And so uh, it eventually came down where they uh, went to those, you know, sort of like sudden death penalty kick goals where like, you know, it really counted. And uh, what happened was that Clint Dempsey lined up for New England's sixth penalty kick and kicked it, you know, uh, kind, kind of a little roller to uh, Ramondo's left. And Ramondo was just able to pounce on that and and send them to the final. And so uh, just one of those those great finishes and, and really was, was kind of a redemption point for Ramondo because he gave up the first goal off a deflection from the post. So it, he guessed right completely on on uh, I think it was Twelman scoring the first goal, uh, but the ball basically went off the post past Ramondo bounced off his back and then back into the goal. So for Ramondo to get that final save uh, was, was really just a feather in his cap to say, Hey, I'm here. And really like that sort of set up his career to go as long as it did. And for him to be, become as great as, as he eventually would become. Uh, So, you know, that, that game just, you know, was full of just fantastic players. So like, you know, two of the top 10 goal scorers in MLS history were featured, and that's Jaime Moreno and Taylor Twellman. Top 10 assist men, that's Steve Ralston and Jaime Moreno. Uh, two of the top 10 save and shutout leaders, Nick Romando and Matt Reese. And then two uh, MLS MVP winners, Taylor Twellman, Christian Gomez. And then uh, most capped uh, members of U.S. men's national team history, Clint Dempsey and Ernie Stewart. Then four MLS Rookie of the Year year uh, winners were featured in this uh, with Steve Ralston, Ben Olson, Jay Heaps, and Clint Dempsey. And then also to cap it all off, the youngest player in MLS history, Freddie Adu. So this game just really had everything that you were looking for from like, you know, sort of like the future talent coming in, the established veterans, the, you know, sort of late game comeback by new England, that nail biting finish with the penalty kicks. And then eventually DC United going to the MLS cup final. Like it's, you can't really top that with the final itself. You know, uh, that just really is one of those games that, that should have been uh, a championship final in and of itself. Yeah, for sure, definitely, and and Steve Nichol definitely talks about uh, that kind of that that game and and that era a lot too. So, um, like I mentioned, that Revolution team was quite quite good, um, and kind of uh, honestly, you know, kind of uh, surprising that we were able to to pull that off. But um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, eventually we move on to the uh, cup final uh, and, and again, uh, sort of a, a neutral territory game uh, between um, the Kansas City Wizards and the and D.C. United. So this was at the Home Depot Depot Center in Carson, California, which was the home of the L.A. Galaxy and was played in front of twenty five thousand uh, spectators. And so. You know, uh, this was this was a game where, like, you know, I, I think to a degree, uh, Kansas City was kind of coming in as as a favorite. Uh, they had a pretty easy, uh, you know, uh, I guess comparably uh, easy conference final uh, going into this. And they seemed just, you know, a, a team that 
seemed a little more poised to win it, uh, whereas DC United, coming off probably the fight of their lives, uh, really uh, had a lot to prove in this game because they did have a really rough uh, regular season. So, you know, this was this was kind of set up for Kansas City to sort of run away with. But, you know, what what do you remember about this game? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the relatively early goals uh, were were massive on, on both sides there, but, but, but the Escandarian ones and then, you know, the mm-hmm. ones where, uh, the one where he definitely <laughs> handballed that, uh, you yep. know, and, and that, that's definitely something that stuck and, 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 and definitely recently became a whole thing again after the MLS re, uh, replayed that match recently, I guess, you know, a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever. Um, that was interesting, uh, you know, reading about that again, because uh, that was that was a big deal at the time. And then and then yeah, like the all the people involved are like, you know, talking about that on Twitter recently, which was kind of funny. Uh, but but yeah, yeah. And and so uh, it was yeah, it, like it, like <laughs> like you said, those first goals were. Um, uh, kind of wild because uh, they were kind of surprised. Like his first goal, I think, was you know more or less a pretty straightforward uh, move on his part. But the second goal was kind of a freak thing. I, I think it was off an error uh, from Kansas City, and so he kind of capitalized and and came out uh, on top with with two really uh, great goals. So uh, you know. Gosh, yeah. Uh, talk about a game where, uh, you know, DC, they definitely kind of came out uh, a little bit lucky as well because there was an early, you know, sort of, I guess, argued handball that, uh, you know, w- w- allowed DC to sort of, uh, you know, come out on top. But eventually, yeah, uh, DC did uh, give up a red card and a penalty kick. And so, uh, you know, Kansas was really looking to come back. And so Kansas camp capitalizes with a, a second goal, but, uh, DC, you know, they just had those three in their pocket. So they had that one goal lead and they just kind of had to ride it out. And, and really that's how that worked out. So, you know, Peter Novak becomes the first person to win a, a, an MLS cup as a player and a coach. And then Eskandarian uh, became the MVP of this game and and really like cemented his legacy uh, with the team. And I think you know is is a guy who's who's very uh, fondly remembered as as you said earlier uh, from people who kind of like grew up you know watching this particular era of the team. Uh, he and I, I you know I I would say you know Christian Gomez uh, the following year had a uh, incredible year for the team um, eventually winning the uh, MVP award so you know this was just you know this was a sign of of things to come uh, so while DC United won win you know a, a, another cup for an excruciatingly long time those following years after uh this cup final they won a couple of supporter supporter shields uh in 06 and 07 and then eventually won their second u.s open cup title in 2008 yeah yeah no definitely uh some great years like i mentioned earlier like the core of this team was was there for a while right like um, and this is definitely the team that I, you know, I like the most. I resonate with the most. This core of uh, group, um, and and definitely the one that I was around the most uh, in terms of games and stuff. But 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely, for me, the last time that, you know, I really recognized, uh, not even greatness, I would say decent <laughs> play. Yeah. <laughs> um, really, I mean, consistently. Uh, right. You know, t- up until 2007, maybe, you know, that, that group, you know, we never really uh, have been good uh, consistently again. Yeah. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, this final uh, featured a future DC United player and actually would become you know, a pretty beloved player. But Josh Wolf uh, started for Kansas City in this game. So I, I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, if uh, a future DC United uh, player would would feature in this game against DC United. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, who. It's, it's just interesting. Well, you know, you talk about consistency, and it's interesting you kind of mentioned that because this was a year when DC was incredibly inconsistent, yet, uh, you know, sort of at the end, they were able to, you know, sort of insert that piece that allowed them to go over the top. You know, it could have been a different story altogether, you know, if, if say, Christian Gomez had joined the team earlier in this in the season. Uh, they could have possibly had a a more dominant record, uh, you know, than than what they eventually showed. Because a lot of those matches, like you said, um, had a lot of disparity in the score. Uh, but you know, a bunch of them were draws, and so like you know, how would it have looked, you know, if if a couple of those games had gone a different way? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to see sort of like the margins that, you know, take a team from being pretty good to, you know, eventually winning the, the championship. So, you know, it's, it's so fascinating to see, you know, what can happen when a team's being constructed, you know, sort of from the bottom up. And then just that one little piece is, is the thing that's needed, uh, to really like, you know, uh, give them a boost. Yeah, no, I mean, especially in a league like this when, you know, parity, um, even at this point, really, uh, was such a, you know, big thing and and maybe even more so, probably, honestly, because there was no, you know, uh, DP rule or anything like that, you know, super parity and like, you know, even a 5% edge is is a lot when everyone's within, (laughs) uh, you know, a few percentage points, but um yeah yeah no i mean what what a great season uh interesting stuff as well and kind of uh more modern uh as well so it's kind of easier to to kind of chat about um stuff like that yeah and and you know uh gosh you want to talk about kind of embarrassing uh dc united they they had an open cup run this season but you can't really call it an open cup run because they lost directly in the first round or i guess in their first round but actually round three of the cup against usl squad richmond kickers and this was a one two uh loss and uh just that that had to have been um kind of yeah that must have really stung dc united because that was in june sort of at the height of of their their slump uh during that summer and gosh, you know, you, I'd love to know like what the chatter was around this time, because you had a really good squad and you had, you know, Freddie Adu coming in, uh, you know, and, and this this team was hoping he would be more of an impact player. But uh, yeah, again, you know, just kind of inconsistent performance really held this team back uh, early in the season. 
so eventually the Open Cup uh, tournament um, would go to the Chicago Fire. And the leading scorer would be their reserve player, Julian Nash, who really hasn't done anything <laughs> uh, since then. Uh, I think it's still active with, with some sort of uh, you know, uh, sort of community club or something like that. But uh, yeah, you know, um, gosh, you kind of look at that and it's like, man, this team that was so stacked with players uh, just had a really rough early go of the season. Well, yeah, I mean, also like with the, I mean, the Open Cup stuff is interesting. I mean, any any game against Richmond's always uh, a talking point and, and stuff uh, for years and years and years and decades, but... <laughs> Um, it's also weird how those things end up, right? Like, you know, we, we won the, the, uh, open cup in 2013 and, and we had a, uh, terrible, terrible season. So like, yeah, I mean, it, it might be one of those things where, you know, it's not always correlated or, or there's some kind of weird, you know, if, if you're really good in the regular season, it's probably correlated to you using more of your first team players in those and not your U S open games or whatever, you know? So Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have nothing to lose because you're one of the worst teams in MLS history, <laughs> then maybe, uh, you know, you kind of play differently and, and play up um, to the competition. So, yeah, it's always yeah. interesting. Totally. And I guess one last thing to kind of like talk about before we kind of wrap up this uh, 2004 season uh, was the Atlantic Cup results. Now, we didn't really talk about this uh, in prior iterations of this because the Atlantic Cup was more of an informal rivalry between uh, DC United and the New Jersey Metro Stars. Uh, But it was in 2002 that the uh, teams made a formal, you know, physical trophy for this. And so uh, they started actually like keeping track of of the Atlantic Cup uh, rivalry. And so uh, this season, uh, United was able to uh, take the cup with a 9-3 uh, record over New Jersey. So, yeah, uh, you know, good stuff there. And it, it, this became kind of like the stamp that said, you know, D.C. is is better than New York, you know. And, and even if at some point New York, you know, uh, matches us in Atlantic Cup, you know, results, uh, we can still say we have more trophies. We have more supporter shield. We're, or do we have more supporter shields? Or did they pass us? Anyways, we have more trophies. So, you know, there. Uh, you know, uh, so we can at least lord that over New York for, you know, the time being. Even even as DC suffers uh, with recent results, we can still kind of look to what we've done and be like, hey, hey, we still got this. Get on our level. So, you know... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I love that. I'll, I'll always, uh, lord that over New York, uh, all day, every day, even from South Dakota. So, you know, I, I just love that. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, we've looked at 2004. We've, you know, really rode the train from the early season slumps to the, you know, MLS Cup playoff, uh, excitement, you know, is there anything you want to add to that? You know, one question I have for you actually is, you know, you talk about how this squad resonates, uh, so fully with you. What is it about this team? Is it, is it because you kind of came of age and, you know, took notice of this squad or was it something else that really kind of like, uh, imprinted itself on you? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I It's hard for me to say with, you know, being able to fully mathematically understand all the variables in my head and everything. But, um, you know, I think around that time, uh, you know, I, I had met a lot of these players even as a kid. Um, you know, my... my my dad had done an interview with Clyde Sims in 2005 um, and Bobby Boswell as well um, in his rookie season. So, you know, <clears throat> being um, underground in RFK and, and meeting, you know, I love Clyde, uh, Clyde Sims and, and, and everything. So, um, you know, all, all these players, you know, maybe, yeah, it was just for, formative years, but, but also it was a, a really, really, you know, great team and great group. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's hard to say. And, and, you know, you have guys like Jaime Moreno still and, and Ernie Stewart, uh, who I was huge, huge fan of, um, you know, even guys like gross, I, I loved. And, uh, one of my favorite memories of DC United happened in the 2005 season, um, on my birthday when we had an international friendly against, uh, Chelsea and and Bobby Boswell scored, which was crazy and and awesome. Yeah. Um, and I kind of post that every year on my birthday as well, a uh, video of that and and it's uh yeah I don't know it's just one of those things it's just such a great squad and you know as a kid I have you know a thing that holds all like playing cards that have the players on it, pictures of the players, and then everyone signed it. And so it's just like, that was, you know, that was my, my team. I, I felt very close to them. Um, but, but who's to say what would have happened if they were absolutely terrible? I don't know. Right. So, you know, I don't know. Like I said, you know, the, the margins were thin at least in 2004 where like, you know, they went from kind of being bang average to suddenly like really, uh, riding a late surge to eventually winning the cup. So it's, it's super interesting to kind of wonder about how things would have gone differently uh, and where, and where this team would sort of sit uh, because, you know, yeah, like they really had to deal with a whole lot with the way the league kind of restructured itself. Uh, they really had to adjust because they did have such a dominant team in the 90s that was thanks to a a lot of financial backing uh so when you know players or or the team couldn't quite afford those players anymore uh they had to shed some of that weight and then they had to kind of work with what they had uh so you know really kind of like a lot of the workhorse guys uh had to really step up you know particularly you know ben olsen uh but then um you know it's interesting because jaime moreno uh, left DC United, spent a couple seasons at New York, and then came back to DC and and was able to win this cup. So uh, super super interesting to to see how this team uh, kind of rode those early years in in the two thousands. Well, it's 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 also interesting. Like when when uh, when you kind of look at MLS and kind of the trends um, and and dynasties and and stuff like that. You know, you you kind of have. Um, at the beginning of the different eras, you kind of have that that one super like, superpower each time, right? Like so, in the beginning there was DC United, and then the the Beckham era, and you know that that team with uh, Beckham, Keane, and and Donovan, you know that they were a major dynasty. Um, and then now we're kind of getting into w- where we'll probably look back on a dynasty of um, you know Seattle uh, as probably the the major player, right? But but mm-hmm. also 
um, some of the minor, quote unquote, minor uh, players like like it, relative to a dynasty is like Atlanta LAFC, um, and you kind of had those at the time too. But but I guess the point I'm making is like you know not every team that wins all, always is going to be super super do- dominant right all, all the time. Um, especially when you're not in the beginning of these tra- like transformational times when, you know, you, you're either DC United and you have, you know, Marco Echeverri and Jaime Reno and all that stuff in the beginning, or you don't have Landon Donovan, uh, David Beckham, the first DP, DP or whatever, um, and stuff like that. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just really interesting. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, to me, that that's like my, my favorite team by far. That's awesome. Well, you know, we're coming up on like an hour and 15 minutes on this episode, but there was really a lot to talk about with this team because this was, you know, sort of a a really big year for D.C. United and especially that uh, Eastern Conference game was so huge. But, um, you know, do you have any shout outs you want to give sort of to, to close this out? Well, I, I couldn't come up with anything this week, but I do want to use this time to shout ourselves out. Um, maybe uh, in terms of leaving reviews for the podcast, um, if you've made it this far, you've enjoyed this mini series or whatever, um, please go ahead and, and you know leave a review for the podcast on uh, iTunes or whatever else. And did you see we got you... a new review in? Oh, we did. We did. So uh, I, I have it pulled up here, and this comes from Vanessa Rhythmic, and the title is Great Podcast. Uh, she says, my favorite blog is now in podcast form. The guys really know what they're talking about. So thank you so much, for Va- Vanessa, uh, for, for leaving us that review, and uh, at least it making me feel like, oh, hey, maybe I do know what I'm talking about, because boy... The way it showed uh, this weekend, <laughs> so I guess going into my shout-outs now, uh, this weekend I participated in uh, DC United Kingdom's uh, virtual pub quiz uh, on YouTube. He did a live stream of this, and uh, originally I wasn't going to be on the show. Uh, he had Sarah Kalassi of Switch the Pitch uh, lined up, but due to illness, uh, she had to bow out, so like, Last second, like literally an hour before the show, uh, you know, James frantically messaged me like, oh, geez, Dan, do you have uh, time to do this pub quiz with me? You know, we need a fourth. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm totally in for this. So, uh, you know, I came in as a super sub, but actually came out as kind of a super dud in this. Uh, you know, uh, did OK in, in an early round of the uh, pub quiz, but. Of the 40 questions or so, I scored a dismal 13, but it was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed uh, being with James, you know, and and a bunch of new people uh, that I just met. Sam Kasner of uh, Tried and True DCU, uh, the DC United post-game podcast. They do a really good show. Check them out. But also the team admin, uh, Roy, Rory Maleda, uh, showed up and... and um, uh, actually had some questions himself and he had some doozies like I would be so surprised if you you, you knew a bunch of these uh, and you've been associated with the club longer than I have so 
these were crazy, crazy questions coming out of left field. And then lastly was uh, Mike from Richmond, Virginia. I'm so sorry, Mike. I forgot your last name, but uh, it was just a pleasure to uh, participate in this. And, you know, thank you, James, for asking me to be on that pub quiz. I had a ton of fun. And, you know, check out DC United Kingdom. Great show. James is a peach and, and yeah, he's just doing wonderful stuff. So happy to shout him out, you know, from the from the rooftops. Cool. Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, and yeah, so uh, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing uh, in the n- near future. Um, we'll, we'll be back, though, uh, soon. I think that that's it for for me. We got some ideas cooking, so definitely stay tuned where we're going to have some good shows uh, sort of in the interim until the season restarts. Oh, yeah. And definitely, uh, if you haven't yet, go back and listen to the 96 uh, and forward um, episodes as well. Definitely check those out. Um, They're kind of relatively timeless uh, because they are about those those years. So. Um, I'll put links to them in the show notes and, and everything so that you can kind of hop back and listen back um, while, while, whenever, if you get bored or whatever. So, cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sweet. Uh, and have a great week. <laughs>